The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. Who is there? Special delivery. interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. Several years ago, I began preaching through the book of Genesis, line by line, verse by verse. And one of the issues that comes most to the fore when you do that is that there are no heroes and heroines here. The Bible has only one hero, and that's the triune God. And you start out with those who are rightly honored as patriarchs and matriarchs. They find themselves even in something like a text of Hebrews chapter 11. They're held up by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as examples for us. And they are shown to us as those we are to emulate and to follow. At the same time, the Bible so clearly reveals their sinfulness, their limitations, their humiliations. We have David, Israel's greatest king. We have David in the moments of his anger and, of course, of his adultery. We have Abraham, who's presented to us as the paragon of faithfulness. Of course, not only in Genesis and in Hebrews chapter 11, but also in Romans chapter 4, where we are told that he's the very model of what it means to be justified by faith alone. And yet we have Abraham, who more than once is caught in a lie. We have Moses, the great leader of the exodus of Israel from captivity in Egypt into the land of promise, but he doesn't get to take them into the land of promise because of his own sin. We also have in terms of church history. How can Luther be such a hero to us when uh, we come to understand his anti-Semitism and his language and his temper as well? The reality is whether we're looking at someone in far more contemporary eras or we're looking at ancient church history, we're looking at the Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, or we're looking at the Reformation. We're looking at flesh and blood human beings saved by the blood of the Lamb. We are dealing with humanity and all of its frailty. Welcome to the Airzatz Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my website's truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Hey, yo, Mr. Amazing Larry, come on over for our new Friday Bible study. Hey, uh, (laughs) where did you just go to New York or Brooklyn or what's the deal with that? I just had some of this great New York pizza from the place next door. And, ah. you know, and that in combination with the espresso is kind of wigging me out of here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about you, Truth Barista. You're a man of many voices and uh, many ideas. So what are we well, going to do you. today? Well, we're going to continue this comparison between a Western mindset, which came from the Greek-Roman thinking, versus the Hebraic Middle Eastern mindset, out of which the church came. And this is, again, why it's important for us to go through this, Amazing Larry, because it's tough to read the Bible with a Western mindset because the writers all had a Hebraic mindset, and it's different enough that when you try to read something with the Western mindset, things 
from a Hebraic mindset sometimes just don't make sense. Okay, so if I was sitting in that booth over there and I was hearing what you just said, I'd say, well, wait a minute, Truth Barista. Isn't the Holy Spirit in us? And regardless of the language that it was written in or how it got translated, isn't he the one that's going to make it right so I understand it completely? That's true to an extent, because we still have a brain that processes language, culture, all of those types of things. The Holy Spirit just does not automatically download every time. I mean, he can. Don't sell the Holy Spirit short. You know, he's only God, right? But when we approach a scripture, he works with our minds to understand the truth. So for example, some people would say, well, if I read the scripture on, if you have a good eye, the Holy Spirit may say, okay, a good eye is an eye that's focused on God, that's dedicated toward God. That's a good interpretation. However, the Holy Spirit may say, you need to read the context of what that idiom means. So I start searching the internet and I go, oh, a good eye means a person is generous. And the Holy Spirit says, aha, now read that in conjunction with what is around it in the verses. And you suddenly realize, well, that's exactly what the Bible is saying. If you're a generous person, then you're going to put your treasure in heaven by helping other people. If you're stingy, then your eye is dark, meaning you don't have any God in your life, and you're going to handle your finances entirely different. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just tell you, the Holy Spirit leads you in your studies to the truth. That's important. Today we're going to talk about this mindset of Greek and Hebrew, and we'll see where we go with it. Where are we going to begin? It's kind of our favorite topic. How do we view the church, the the people of God, the congregation of God? Mm -hmm. Because we've been going almost 2,000 years on a Western mindset because as the early church grew, it became more and more Gentileized, which means a lot of the Gentile mindset came into the church. But we have to understand the church was actually grown out of the Jewish community and the synagogue. So what you're doing is you're you're trying to do 2000 years of church in air quotes versus 100 years of the early church as a Jewish thinking group based in a synagogue. And so what I want to do is compare the two oh, and show great. you how vastly different it is and how it really would affect church life. How's that? So often you and I have talked about today's modern church is filled with a lot of things in leadership that shouldn't probably be there. In other words, the pastor is the model for all leaders in the church. And I'm not sure that's the right methodology or the right theology that we should be looking at. So this will be really good yep. to see where all that came from and why we have the kind of system we have today. And, and I agree with that. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus comes back, if he came back today, would he even recognize what we call the organized church? I, it would be vastly different than the culture he was in when he was alive on earth. Well, here's the deal that I heard recently, and this is why I'm a little bit sensitive about that. There was a national leader, a very prominent teacher, PhD kind of guy, and he basically said in so many words that, listen, you need me because I have knowledge, I have education, I have the right interpretation. So church, I got it. You don't. You need me. And I'm thinking to myself now, why? Wow, is that arrogant? <laughs> well, giving him the benefit of the doubt, if somebody does have an education and does have better knowledge or more complete knowledge, that's a good thing. But presenting it in that way, you're right, is incredibly arrogant and kind of 
sets you up for a fall. Well, there's no, there's no humility in that. And the body needs to work together. And I think that's what you're going to bring out. Oh, what a great segue that was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk about God's people. Okay, this is the Western view, in often seen in the church today, of God's people, the congregation, right? It's very compartmentalized. Everything in our lives is in little boxes. So you go to church, but then the rest of the week is a different compartment. And so our spiritual life often gets divorced from our secular life. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Absolutely. So here's the other thing is under that Western mindset, a congregation member or Christian has intellectual agreement with God. God says, you know, this is the way to salvation. And we go, yep, I agree with that. Sounds good. But it doesn't really change our lives. Here's another one. When we look at the church body, it's more of an organization. And when we go to church, we often sit in chairs and pews as non-participatory spectators. You know, kind of like going to a football game with a lot less enthusiasm. Okay. And no beer. <laughs> okay. Wow. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> well, and then here's here's one. In the Western mindset church, you have a professional clergy separated from the laity, the person in the pew. In the Western church, the congregation is a group to rule. You have leadership that rules the congregation. In some churches in a Western mindset, the leaders are to be served. I'm here to carry out the vision of the pastor. How many times have you heard that? The pastor has a vision, so I must help him carry out that vision. In the Western church, the people are in charge. You know, we sit down, have our meetings, we make our decisions, and this is the way we're going to go. And sadly, on uh, the bad end of the spectrum, church life or a congregation becomes a leader's empire and sometimes uses people for their own ends. Now, when I say a lot of this stuff, it may be ringing bells in you as you go along going, yep, I've seen that. Yep, seen that. Yep, seen that. Let me give you the exact same ones, though, from a Hebraic mindset that would have been in the first century. So number one, you don't have a compartmentalized life. All of life is sacred. So when you gather with the body, you encourage one another. And when you're out on the street, when you're working in your business, God is on your mind. He's right there in the midst of your business. In a sense, God is overseeing your business because if you cheat, that breaks the Torah. Okay, so it's very much more of a God awareness. In the Hebraic mindset, it is not intellectual agreement with God. We trust God. We trust God, even if we don't understand. The Western mindset is an organization. The Hebraic mindset is it's an organism. It's about the life of the body. It's not the structure of the body. In fact, there's a really good book out there called The Vine and the Trellis, where the vine is the life of the church and the trellis is the administrative structures that we put up to hold the life. The problem is a lot of churches work a lot on trellis. They don't work on vine. See, so now you have dead churches that are functioning on programs rather than being alive with the life of people pursuing God. Well, truth, Barista, I would say if a megachurch pastor was sitting in on this conversation, he'd say, well, that's fine, boys, except that when you're 3,000 or 10,000 strong, pretty hard not to have organization to make this ministry work. 
And I don't know how you feel about that. Are we too big at times so that we have to go to the trellis or to the form rather than the organism? I don't know. I mean, I suppose it depends on, you know, the size of the group. My point of view is it depends on what you put your emphasis. You can have a very large church that has an emphasis on life of the body. Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are Do you have that mindset? Are you building it into the congregation that God is with you all the time and is actively involved in your life? Or is it compartmentalized? If you move more toward the trellis side of that, then it's, well, the church is just here to give you programs to keep you busy. I mean, you do need organization, but without an organism, it's just like a skeleton. You got structure, but there's no life there. It's an emphasis thing. Well, the church is unique, Truth says. Would you agree with that? It is unique from an organization or a company or, you know, an agency. It's different because it's driven differently if it's following God's order, such as the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So it's different than anything on earth. So I don't know how sometimes we kind of attach business principles or values to the church. That leads me to the second thing I was going to say is because there are mega churches, often the most effective way to take care of an organization is to borrow from the business models, which are very good at organizing activity. Whereas, like you said, in a church body, a congregational body, it's about life. And so sometimes you go out to your garden, there's a lot of life there, but not a lot of organization. So you do need some organization to contain the life. But again, if you run a church according to the business model, oftentimes it'll focus on the trellis, not on the vine, on the organization, not the organism. And this is why I think churches that are smaller, say, let's say in the 100 to 300 person range, are very effective because they do have the life in them and they have enough people, if they're willing to get into the trellis work of the church, to actually make it happen. We have people who are willing to disciple children and students and families. We have enough people to deal with the administrative work that's needed or on the worship team, etc. But really, even if you have a small group of people, let's say one or two, you don't need the trellis because you've got life. Jesus said, we're two or more, two or three are gathered in my name. There I am. There's the life. So you can actually have life with no organization, but you cannot have organization without life. Well put. So let me keep going down through this list. So in the Hebraic mindset, the congregation should be interactive and action community, not just a bunch of spectators. In the Hebraic mindset, everybody is trained for serving and ministry according to their talents and calling, not a separation between the anointed leadership and all of you plebeians sitting out there in the pews. See, you don't have the professional clergy. You have people who are recognized because they can teach and they can preach, but that doesn't put them above anybody else. That's just their function within the body. Whereas other people within the body have other functions, people who pray, people who visit, people who comfort, people with various gifts to help families in crisis or just to encourage somebody. Mm -hmm. In the Hebraic congregation, it's not a group to rule, it's people to lead. That's the mindset. The leaders are there to serve and God is in charge, not the organizational leadership. And with the right Hebraic mindset, we look at the congregation as part of God's kingdom, 
And our goal is to release people into God's work, not an empire so that people can work for me. See? <laughs> so let me go on with a quick list here and we'll we'll finish up the congregational thing. On the Western mindset side, let me build you a picture. Under that mindset, life is policed by rules. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. The Western mindset focuses on self-denial, even extreme self-denial, which is where we get this asceticism that was in the church. You know, monks that wouldn't talk, monks that would live alone out in the desert on bread and water. Mm -hmm. Because why? Because the body is bad, but the spirit is good. That was very much a Greek mindset. So under that mindset, the ideal is to be isolated from the world, divorced from physical desires. So celibacy became an ideal. The soul is alive because it's spiritual, but the body is bad. And so the soul was just in the shell animating it. And the idea is we try to escape death. Things need to be blessed outwardly, physical things. Salvation is basically an escape from life. Salvation is primarily spiritual. It has to do with my afterlife. And under that mindset, the goal is to be raptured out so that we can go to heaven and avoid the troubles on earth. And with that mindset, we wind up in inertia. So we're just going to sit and wait until Jesus comes, gets us. Okay, that's that mindset. This is the Hebraic mindset on the same things. Okay, life is free within the boundaries that God gives us. It doesn't focus on what we can't do. It focuses on all the wonderful things we can do in Jesus. We are to satisfy our appetites, but responsibly and moderately. Why? Because God gave us all of our appetites and our desires. We're not to be isolated from society. We're to be embedded in society, active, bringing our faith into the marketplace. Celibacy may be one goal on that side, but on the good side, I would say the Hebraic side, marriage and family is good. Why? Because God made it. <laughs> He looks at the couple and says, have them babies, you know, and enjoy family life. It's a good thing. The person is a whole living being. We embrace death as natural and we don't work to avoid it, but we walk through it because why? God said, this is the way it is, but I've provided a way through it, not to avoid it. God has blessed what he's given us already. So rather than bless our food, we bless him at the end of the meal for giving us that food. Relative to salvation, it's to know God as we live and learn his power and presence in our life, not just to escape hatch life. Under the Hebraic mindset, it focuses on the whole person, not just the soul. So when God saves us, he saves us body, soul, and spirit. And then he kicks us out into the world and says, there, now go impact the world. Be a witness for me. Be active, you know, enjoy life and spread the word as you go. Whereas in the Western mindset, it's more like we've got this little fortress mentality and we're in the church and we need the holy huddle, as they call it. Now, the cool thing is many churches in third world countries who have this Hebraic kind of Eastern mindset, they're the ones that are actively involved in a lot of missions today. And they're following through on this, as you would say, the right side of the column, as opposed to the left side. They're getting out there and embedding in society. Okay, regarding the rapture, people say the rapture is kind of like our escape hatch from the tribulation, right? Well, according to the Hebraic mindset, the rapture is just a temporary removal from the earth, and we're going to be restored when Jesus comes back. So it's just a temporary separating out believers from the rest of the world so that God can deal with the rest of the world. And then he will return and 
believers would be at work on the earth while Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem. That's the Hebraic mindset. And rather than just sit and wait, God looks at the congregation as an enterprise. We are to go and do. That's the Hebraic mindset. Go and do. And you see this in Matthew 28. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and I'm going to be with you as you go. That's part of that difference. I have a few more here, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think that the whole idea of going is something that is an imperative that I think he wants every individual to do, and you can do it as an individual or perhaps in a small group, but we go and we do. I think sometimes, Truth Barista, we get this idea idea that we've got to bring people to the church. That's not bad necessarily, but it is this idea that they've got to come to the store in order to buy something. You know what I'm saying? They've got to be in and touch it and feel it. And in today's world, that's not true in retail because you do everything online. I think that our ideas have to change to become a better communicator. And communication happens in many ways today. Your thoughts? Well, and this is part of getting our heads on straight because many people say, you're right, you know, I'm going to get saved and I'm going to get baptized and then I'm going to spend all my time at the church building. Everything important happens at the church building. Well, that's like, okay, I just bought a new car, so now I'm going to live at the gas station. Or at the dealership. (laughs) Or at the dealership. No, I go to the gas station for a Mm tune-up, for a Mm fill-up, and then I take my car out into Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be as believers. We go to be filled up, to be tuned up on a Saturday or Sunday or whenever you go to worship, and then we hop in our little, you know, little car, if you want to say, and drive out into the world and, you know, wave at people, say hi, do things, you know, help people move, you know, that kind of thing. So we don't stay at the gas station. Mm -hmm. So here's the rest of just this little snapshot of Western versus Hebraic. On the Western side church, we focus on an individual faith. Knowledge is a virtue. It's all about facts to be collected, or oftentimes our faith is purely brain cognitive. The path of life is through our intellect. I just have to figure it out, right? Got to work on it, okay? And it's to develop the parts, the individual parts of our lives. Spiritual matters, by the way, are for the wealthy and for those who have leisure. Because, you know, in the Western mindset, I'm busy. I don't really have time for all that spiritual stuff. So we'll let the people who got the time to do that, yada, yada. Okay. The goal of learning in a Western mindset is to understand, and it's only for select students. So when you look at people who are recognized ministry leaders, oh, those are only the people that have gone to seminary. Those are only the people who've been trained to do this. Me, I'm a schlub. I sit in the congregation. What do I know? What can I do? Blah, blah, blah. Here's the Hebraic mindset. It is a community of faith, not an individual. That's the focus. The focus is on wisdom that's practical, not just pure knowledge. And rather than facts to collect or purely in the brain, it's applied knowledge. Again, getting back to wisdom. Wisdom begins with the ability to see and figure out all of life from God's point of view. The path of life isn't through the intellect. It's established on God's revealed principles of right and wrong. It's not just, well, it makes sense, so I'll do this. It's, this is what God has revealed. This is how I should live. 
the goal is not to develop our lives. You know, get your best life now, right? And health and wealth and all that stuff, right? No, it's to be like God. It's a whole thing. Spiritual matters for everybody. Doesn't matter if you're a kid or if you're a ditch digger or if you're a high-powered business person, if you're a housewife, if you're a house husband, everybody is involved in God's life and the life in the spiritual life of the congregation. And the goal of learning is not to comprehend, it's to revere God. And the goal is not only for a select group of students, everybody is a student. Everybody learns. Including the clergy. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there are some clergy who, are, I don't even like that word, okay? There are leaders in a congregation. Why? Because they have kind of a, a bent toward learning and understanding and communicating the truths of the Bible. That's good. That's their talent. That's their calling. But that doesn't mean anybody else can't go to a class and learn and share with somebody else. We all have brains. We can all understand God's truth in some way. And by the way, some of the most, quote unquote, simple people in a congregation can come up with the most profound thoughts. Mm -hmm. So we can never discount anybody in a congregation. So that's the difference between the Western view of church life versus the Hebraic view of church life. So let's go on to spiritual life and practice. Okay, this gets into kind of the nuts and bolts of being a Christian, being a Jesus follower in a congregation. In the Western mindset, it's about thinking or feeling good. In a Hebraic mindset, it's doing good. Western mindset, it's a leap of thought. You know, I got a new revelation. In a Hebraic mindset, it's a leap of faith based on action because I trust God. It's not thinking, it's doing. There's a difference. In the Western mindset, it's what works for us. You know, that's what spiritual life is, what's, what's effective. It's what works for us, very pragmatic, very practical. But on the Hebraic mindset, what's spiritual and proper is, Lord, what pleases you? It's not what works for me, Lord. It's what pleases you. That determines how I live. In the Western mindset, God only gets a part of me. It's the part that I want to give him, but I'm going to retain some of me for me because, you know, I am autonomous. <laughs> I am an individual. However, in the Hebraic mindset, oh, God is involved in all my ways. Just read the Psalms. The Psalmists are constantly writing, oh, God, you surround my entire life. You are my life. See, that's the Hebraic mindset. In the Western mindset on spiritual life and practice, we believe creeds, and there's no real demand that our lives change. Why? You just have to think the right things. So as long as you have well-thought-out ideas and well-conceived ideas about life, you're good. On the Hebraic side, it's not creeds. It's revelation that's to be embraced. What God has revealed to us through his word, and it's intended to create growth in our lives. So rather than you're not going to hear Jesus say, well thought of or well conceived, good and faithful servant. You're going to hear Jesus with a Hebraic mindset said, well done, well lived, good and faithful servant. So what do you think? Well, I think you're 100% correct. I think leaders get overly organized or they start putting rules into place because there have been so many abuses in the revelational part, I think. And so therefore they say, well, this isn't uh, right or that isn't right. This is the way it should be. And people begin to believe that. And I think sometimes that's erroneous. It's wrong. It's not allowing the whole 
Holy Spirit to have freedom. It's more about the rules and regulations that counteract some abuses that happen within the church. See, I think that's really good. We're, we have a bent as human beings for control. We want control. We want predictability. We want to you know, bring our personal world under control and to manage it. Keep, why? For security's sake, assurance sake. However, when the Holy Spirit begins to move and he takes control, suddenly he starts doing things that you don't agree with. You get a sense of a loss of control you get a sense, therefore, of a loss of security unless you're secure in trusting God. And so what happens, and this is my personal mullings as I'm thinking about today's churches, there are a lot of churches that emphasize programs and trellis work, administrative functions, these types of things. Why? Because number one, you're trying to control your spiritual environment. And number two, you're afraid that things might get out of control if we let the Holy Spirit move and we follow him, I believe I've seen this in many, many churches. That seems to be the core back and forth. Do you really trust God to control and lead your congregation? Or do you say, that's just too scary. I got to do it my way. And you set up the parameters, the rules, the guidelines, the leadership structure, everything in order to maintain control. That's my take on it. Boy, that's good. And I know that next time our conversation is going to focus on something a little bit different. And I have some questions, but it'll have to wait until the next time we sit down in the United Booth with our Bibles. This is going to be controversial because we're going to talk about worship from the two worldviews, but then we're going to talk about the church itself, how it grew from a first century synagogue into a Rome-controlled church. Can't wait. Guten Morgen, guten Tag, guten Abend. Hi, this is Siegfried, and I know you're listening to the Truth Barista podcast. After you are done, I want you to check out the rest of the High Beam Ministry website, highbeamministry.com. Yeah, you will find all sorts of really cool stuff besides the podcast. Things like the Frothy Thoughts blog, cousins through the Bible reading plan with comments, a growing teaching page, and other resources to vet your spiritual whistle. Yeah, it's groovy. Go to highbeamministry.com. All one word, highbeamministry.com. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and enter your email so they can let you know every week when the new stuff is posted. Do it now. Do that, and you will be a most excellent person. Danke. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.